Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to talk to you this morning. We're going to look a little bit this morning and start with the life of David. David is an exemplary figure in the Bible. We know that David is known as the man after God's own heart. He had a passion for God from his youth, and that passion sustained him through trials and tribulations right through his life. His passion for God never departed from him, even in the times when he was king. He was a man after God's own heart from the beginning, straight straight and right through to the end. David was by no means a perfect man, Scripture teaches us how we struggled and battled with pride. Scripture tells us how we fell into sin and how we repented and came back to the Lord. But in all these days, David's confession never wavered concerning God's faithfulness. Last week, who can remember what Pastor Andreas ministered? Staying the course and finishing strong. Despite opposition that may come, despite disappointment and learning how to deal with these things. And I want to speak into this arena today, but we're going to, as as I said, start by looking at David. One of the most outstanding characteristics of the life of David was his ability to endure hardship with grace, while at the same time pursuing the call of God that was on his life. From a very young age, David knew that he was anointed to be the next king. It came as a big surprise to him. It came as even more of a surprise to his family, to his brothers. But from a young age, he was the appointed one. He knew. He carried something inside of him. And despite all the hardships he went through, he had to to hold on to that and not walk away from that. We can talk about Joseph as well, who had had the same thing happen. When he was a young man, he had dreams. And yet then he was sold into slavery. He was put into prison. And yet God, the Bible says, was with him through it all. One of the outstanding characteristics of David and and one of the keys to his ability to endure what he endured with such grace, with such empathy, with such honor towards God and towards those appointed by God was that David knew how to encourage himself in the Lord. Folks, in the times we're living in, the ability to encourage ourselves in the Lord is going to become more and more necessary in our lives. Some of us have become very dependent upon the encouragement of other people, very dependent upon the encouragement of a pastor, a spiritual father or mother. What happens when they're no longer there? What happens when they withdraw? What happens? What, you know, if, if, perhaps we've relied so much on our spouse, and what happens if all of a sudden they're not there? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be absolutely independent people and not put trust and confidence and draw encouragement from other people. Far from it. But David, despite everything that went on around him, continued to center his trust and place his confidence in God and in God alone. Because there is a comfort and there is a peace that comes from God and that can come from God alone. That your spouse cannot give you. Not because they are faulty, but because they are not God. That your pastor cannot give you. 
that a YouTube video cannot give you, that the most anointed praise and worship cannot give you, that only God Himself can give you as your heavenly Father. His words and revelation that comes from what He says produces the faith that we need in, to enable us to stand. Uh, Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the words of God. God speaking to your heart, God speaking into your situation, produces a peace which enables you to endure, releases a grace which gives you strength, and fills you with a joy in knowing that He is with you in this moment, and that whatever you are facing is not designed to overcome you, but is designed to cause your faith to rise to the place where you overcome it. The Bible says that we will never be tempted beyond what we are able to endure. But God will always provide for us a way of escape. David's troubles didn't begin, it's very interesting to me, until after he had been anointed the king of Israel. God had rejected Saul, and God had appointed David as his replacement. And uh, I want to read to you this morning a psalm. Before we get there, uh, David, as you know, served Saul faithfully. He eventually married Michal, Saul's, Saul's daughter. So he, Saul became his father-in-law. But then Saul went a little cuckoo and uh, really wanted to kill David. He was, he was gunning for David's life, and David fled. David ran away. And uh, when he wrote the psalm we're going to read shortly, he, was, he, he had just fled in fear of Achish, one of the kings of, of Gath, which was a Philistine city, he, re- he went to Philistine to seek refuge. And when they realized who he was, David became afraid. Can you say afraid? afraid. Thank you. That was very helpful. We don't think of David as a man of fear. We don't think of him that way. But the Bible says he became afraid because he was vulnerable. And he had to run for his life because somebody was seeking to kill him. And now suddenly he arrives in Gath and they know who he is and he became afraid. And so to deal with that and to, act, he, he, so, and, and, to, and to circumvent the fact that he thought they were going to be killing him, he acted mad. He acted crazy. The Bible said he let saliva run down his beard. He acted like a complete madman. And they brought him before the king of, this king and he said, what are you bringing this man to me? He's completely crazy. Get him out of my sight. And when they did that, David escaped. And so he then went and hid in the caves of Adullam. He hid from King Saul, his own father-in-law, his own king who he had, safely, uh, who he had, who had um, faithfully served for many years. 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2 says, David therefore departed from there, escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to meet him. And everyone who was in distress... Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Not the cream of the crop here, folks. (laughs) All those in trouble gathered to David. And so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. I remind you, this is the man who'd already been anointed the king over Israel. And if dealing with his own challenges of people trying to murder him was not enough, David became the leader of all those who were downcast, outcast, and in trouble. And over 400 men came to him that day seeking his help. So in the midst of what he has to deal with, 
God presents him with more. And it is in this place, and it is in this state of mind, that David pens Psalm 34. And we're going to read this psalm together. Can you put yourself in David's shoes for a moment? No answers. God has promised a few things. He's called a few things. But everything around you in the natural says, you should give up, you should run. Your life is going to be taken from you. The enemy's got a plan. He's going to take you out. And then a whole bunch of other people come to him and say, David, you need to help us. To any, any of us would probably have said, I've got enough problems, thank you. I've got enough to do. Is anyone trying to kill you? So leave me alone. But in the midst of all of that, this is what David says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Imagine him in this cave with all these outcasts, all these downtrodden people saying, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Let's pause for a moment. In the midst of people seeking His life, in the midst of exile, God, He says, delivered me from all my fears. In this case, not all my troubles, but all my fears. His presence with me was enough to deliver me from that which I was afraid of. I am no longer afraid, come what may. I'm no longer afraid, come what may. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Listen to this man. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good in the midst of my cave where I don't know how I'm going to feed these 400 men. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off their remembrance from the earth. But the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and He delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many, many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But, say but, but. the Lord delivers him out of them all. Every single one. 
He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. But the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust him shall be condemned. I love verse 4. We've already covered that one. Delivered me from all my fears. Verse 19, many of the afflictions of the righteous. But, but the Lord delivers them, him out of them all. You know, we're talking about David's ability in the midst of his trials to lift his vision and consider a different reality that is beyond his natural probability in that moment. We see the same thing happen in 1 Samuel chapter 30. A bunch of raiders had just come in and taken all their wives and their children captive. And all the people were angry with David They were considering taking him out. And again, here we see 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed. Say greatly distressed. distressed. See, David didn't have it all together all the time. David had to deal with his own emotions and his struggles just the way you and I do. He also struggled with uncertainty. What's going to happen now? Look at what has happened. I never saw this coming. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Again, David enduring the, the, the hurt and the pain and the struggle of all the people. Every man for his son and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. You see, this is David's secret. David's life is marked by challenge after challenge after challenge. David was a man of war. He went up against enemies and and fought battles that would make you and I shudder. But he sought the Lord. He renewed his confidence and his strength in the Lord. And that's not just when he was king and everything was going well. It was in the hard times. David knew how to calibrate his heart. Calibrate. Do you know what the word calibrate means? It means set it in order. I used to do archery many years ago, and you used to have to calibrate your sight. You had a little thing that you would move up and down. And so as you're aiming the bow, if, if, you, if you lifted your sight higher, you would aim your bow lower. If you lifted your sight lower, you, you, you would aim slightly higher. Now, a millimeter here makes a significant difference 50 meters away. Huge difference. But if you don't calibrate your sights, you're not going to hit the target. You're going to miss it. David knew how to calibrate his heart with God's heart to God's perspective in the situation. He knew what to do when fear and uncertainty set in. You see, and that's the key, because fear and uncertainty are going to set in. They are going to come. Every one of us is going to face it. I don't know what to do here. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know how this need is going to be met. So what do we do? We have to calibrate our hearts to what God says. David had a humble heart and he trusted God fully. David did not trust in his own ability to meet his needs or to solve his problems. One of his great secrets. David did not trust. And we don't see, the the first time we really see this in powerful demonstration is in that famous story of when David comes up against Goliath. The Bible says that David was sent by his father to go and take some cheese and, and bread to his brothers. 
And so there he is on the front lines, and Goliath is mocking the people of Israel for 40 days. He chants at them morning and night, and he is, he's taunting them. And eventually David says, guys, what is going on here? Is there not a cause? And everyone's angry with him and upset with him. And so eventually he comes before Saul, the king, and he says this to Saul. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, and here's the key, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go your way, and the Lord be with you. And so here we see David, we know the story. He tried on Saul's armor, it didn't fit. He went to the river, he took five stones. Tell tell them I say hi. He took his stones, he put them in his pouch, and then he went out to confront Goliath. And let's listen to what he says. 1 Samuel 17, 45, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. And there's that key word that we're going to talk about a lot more this morning. Where's my words? Today. Are you also on a phone call up there, brother? 1 Samuel 17, 45. There we go. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. Let's try it again. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of angel of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And when you look at your problems, you need to be saying to them, situation, you're about to find out that there is a God in my heart, and there is a God in my life, and your days are numbered, and this is what's going to happen to you. Then all this assembly shall know, and everyone around me is going to see that the Lord does not save with the sword or with the spear and, and, or in man's strength, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into my hands. Craig said something so profound a few weeks ago when he ministered. He says, there are some things in your life that you've been trying to solve, and God just wants you to take your hands off so that He can sort it out for you. It was profound. Sometimes God wants us to take a step back from those things we're trying to solve and fix and that we're so worried about because He has a plan and He has a way and He has a solution. If we'll just get out the way. I want to say to you this morning that our journey of faith, our life of faith, is one of continual recalibration. Because what you calibrated, the faith that you set in place for the target that you needed to overcome yesterday, that target is different today. The sights that you've set that were right for yesterday's problem are not going to be sufficient for today's problem. The target has moved closer. The target has moved further away, whatever it may be. And so we need to recalibrate our hearts regularly. Why? Because we're living in an age where news is seldom good. There's actually a lot of good news out there, but it's certainly not in the mainstream media, is it? 
We're bombarded with that which causes fear and concern and worry all the time. Now, recalibrating our hearts and recalibrating our faith is not about denying the realities that we are facing. It's not about playing dumb or pretending they're not there. But it is about reorientating our faith and our expectation towards God as we see David do again and again and again. If we do not regularly recalibrate our hearts, search ourselves, is there fear in me? Is there anxiety in me? Is there uncertainty in me? These things are a sure sign that we need to recalibrate, that we need to relook at what the Word of the Lord says concerning our situation, that we need to relook and, and, and ask ourselves the question, where am I placing my trust in this time? What am I hoping for in this moment? If we do not do that regularly, we will end up, end up veering off in the wrong direction. We will end up following a narrative that somebody else has set for us or that our own minds have set for us, going down the paths of worry, going down the paths of anxiety, the paths of fear. We need to recalibrate our faith. We need to recalibrate our vision. What is it that you see? What is it that you are expecting? What is it that the Lord is saying to you concerning your situation and your future? What is it that He is saying to you concerning the calling that He has placed on your life? I think some of us haven't recalibrated in so long that we've lost sight of the calling of God. We're oblivious to the fact that we've been brought into a kingdom for purpose. And we don't even know what that is anymore. We need to recalibrate. We need to discover these, these glorious truths, the reasons for which God created you. David was fully aware of his reason. Remember, he knew his calling from the very beginning. That calling guided and sustained him. What is your calling? What is it that God has given to you? Who is it that God has called you to be? Is probably the even better question. We need to recalibrate our attitudes regularly. Our attitudes towards God, towards the words of, word of God, toward the things of God. We need to recalibrate our attitudes to those around us, those who hurt us, those who demean us, those who use us. And we need to recalibrate these things according to God's Word and His love because those carry the power and the grace to produce the change in us and through us that we desire to see. Psalm 34, we read how God delivered him from his fears. That's what goes on inside. And then God later delivered him from his troubles. That's what goes on on the outside. The Christian life is one that is lived from the inside out. Our perspective is what determines our experience. The world is completely different. Their experience is what determines their heart and their attitude. But the believer has a completely different and upside-down way of seeing things. Because of who Jesus is, because of who, what He has done, because of the fact that the victory is ours and peace has been given to me and the joy of the Lord is my strength, therefore I can look at my life with an attitude of overcoming, knowing that God is my victory and He is my strength. Karen was saying to me this morning, it'll all work out in the end. Everything will be okay. If everything isn't okay, it means it's not the end. But there's a rich hope that we hold on to because we know that God loves us and He's called us for purpose. The painful truth is that most of, not most of, many of the trials and the difficulties we face is because we are not walking in and pursuing the callings and purposes that God has for our lives. We see the same truth in the life of David. 
when he was not on the front lines of the battlefield where he should have been, where he was called to and appointed to be, that is when he fell into sin because he was not giving himself to that which God had called and anointed him for. And so he got himself into deep trouble. Praise God, through the prophet, David recalibrated his heart, and he came right again. And I want to say to you this morning, this is what I want to talk to you about, this recalibration of the heart. And there is a diminutive yet very powerful word that is incredibly helpful in doing this. And you've said it out loud numerous times already this morning. I'm going to say it to you again. It's that tiny little three-letter word, but. But. Some synonyms for the word but that we find in Scripture are nevertheless or yet, but they all mean the same thing, but. What the word but does is it contrasts two things and it reassigns emphasis. Let me explain this to you. As soon as I put but in the middle of a sentence, I'm contrasting one reality with another. Right? You did this but I did that. I did this, but you did that. Both true statements, right? I could say of Mark, he's incredibly handsome, but he needs to put on deodorant. No, it's not true. (laughs) What have I just done? First, I built him up, and everyone, wow, you know he's right. But, and then suddenly I've undermined everything I've just said. Now when you look at Mark, you're not thinking he's incredibly handsome. You're thinking, oh, I need to just walk a wide girth around it. Right? So but, what but does is it produces a contrast. We see two different realities at the same time, and then it reassigns emphasis. I want to teach you a really helpful lesson. Whatever you put after the word but is that which you are, that is the truth you are leaning on. That is the statement you are emphasizing. And we're going to look to Scripture. I'm going to show this to you again and again and again. But there is incredibly, incredible power in the word but when we learn to use it properly. Here's how we generally get it wrong. How's your body? Are you, are you healed? Yeah, I believe I'm healed, but I still feel the pain. What have you just done? You just emphasized your natural symptoms, thereby undermining your initial statement. Where is it you've placed your heart and your emphasis? I'm still experiencing pain. In other words, I'm not going to believe until I see it the other way around. Let's just swap those, let's just swap those two around and look, listen to what it sounds like. I'm still experiencing pain, but I believe that God has healed me, and I will see the manifestation. Amen. What have you done? You haven't acknowledged, you haven't denied a reality. That's what people often say, oh, faith is just wishful thinking. You can't deny, re- no one's asking you to deny a reality. No one's asking, David never denies the reality of what he's going through. Go and read the book of Lamentations. It's all about acknowledging the reality of that which goes on around you. But then it points to God. And it says, I see that my natural circumstances do not yet align with what I truly believe in my heart, but I will choose to keep believing and placing my emphasis and my trust on what the Lord says. It is your but that produces the contrast and the emphasis of your life. And that means that your most distinguishing feature might very well be your butt. Your butt is what distinguishes one point of view from another. (laughs) You'll remember the sermon now. 
Your but is what emphasizes one truth over another. Your distinguishing feature of your focus and your life is what you do with the buts. Whatever you place after your but is what you've chosen to emphasize. Now, this tool can be used, as I've just demonstrated, positively or negatively. Let's look at the life of Peter, Matthew 14, 29 to 31. Jesus comes to them in the middle of the night. He's walking on the water. Peter says, if you are the Lord, say to me, come, and I will walk, I will walk out to you. And Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on water, and he comes to Jesus. And then we see at the beginning of verse 30, but... When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Folks, the man was walking on water. We often point to the fact that he sunk. Okay, great. I, 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 you know, he sank. The man walked on water. Literally took steps towards Jesus. And as long as his eyes and his focus were on Jesus, the man walked on water. But when he considered an alternative reality and placed and shifted his focus to that reality, the, super, the supernatural power that was, he was once engaged with could no longer sustain him while he was focused on natural things. Did you get that? If you need and if you are wanting supernatural power in the midst of your situation, which is exactly what God is wanting for you, you need to be focused on and going after that supernatural grace for it to be active and effective in your life. As long as your focus is on the situation, as long as your focus is on the problem, you will sink into it. But as long as your eyes are on the Lord, you will rise above it because He is above Scripture calls us again and again to do the exact opposite of what Peter did. Galatians 2 verse 20. This is Paul. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Let, let, let's just, just, just shout it out for fun. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is a reality that I am here in the flesh, but it's no longer that man who lives. There is a new reality going on here, and I choose to emphasize this new reality and to walk in it. Philippians 3 verse 12, not that I have already obtained or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If we are going to stay the course, if we are going to stay steady, we are going to have to keep making statements like this. Yes, I see the challenge. Yes, I know the difficulty. But I choose to trust in the Lord. But I will overcome because my God says so. But the situation will not overcome and overwhelm me. Not even Jesus was immune to discouragement. Even Jesus had to do the very thing I'm teaching you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing exactly what he was called to do, who he was called to be, but yet, can we say, afraid of that which was about to come, 
He's sitting in the garden of Gethsemane praying with such intensity that blood was pouring from his forehead. And he cried out to the Lord, his God, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The remarkable thing about this scripture is in contrast to everything that I have been saying to you up to this point, in the sense that we are looking to God to bring us into victory over our problems, we are looking to God to bring us to fulfillment. God did bring Jesus to victory and He fulfilled every promise concerning Him, but Jesus still needed to go through the cross. God's not just going to bring you out like that. God never promises that He's always going to just pay when it's Friday. He doesn't promise that you're always going to come through without having to suffer, without having to deal with yourself, without having to deal with those around you. That's exactly what Jesus did. And as He hung on that cross, He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. You see, what I'm preaching to you today is not a quick fix, but it is that which gives you strength to stand and to walk in what God has called you to do to fulfill your God-given purpose, not only for your blessing, but for the sake of those to whom God has sent you. Jesus said in His prayer in John 17, Father, for their sakes I sanctify myself. You see, this is not just about you and your victory. God has a far bigger picture of you and a far greater estimation of you than you could ever imagine. And so here we see Jesus, even in the midst of my trial, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. David saying, Lord, glorify yourself. Paul, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, glorifying himself in me. Jesus saying, God, glorify yourself through me, through your will. And this, dearly beloved, is what gives us the grace and the ability to finish strong. Because it's not about you, and it's not about me, it is about him. John 17, verse 4, Jesus says, Father, I have completed the work you have given me to do. This is before his death. I have glorified you on the earth. My dear friends, that is your call. That is your mandate. That is our purpose, to glorify our King and our Lord and our Savior by being not only the ambassadors of his message and the representation thereof, but the bearers of good news to those who need to hear it. We see the same principle with Joseph. Acts, Acts 7, verse 9 to 10, speaking about him, says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over all Egypt and all his household. God glorified his name through that man, Joseph. You see, folks, have you noticed how all the verses I have quoted all have to do with redirecting our focus and our expectation, our devotion, and our passion towards God so that His plans and purposes may be worked out in and through our lives? I want to say it again because it needs to sink in. This is not about you. This is not a bless me club. 
This is not about how you can have what you want and how you can overcome your problems so that you can have a comfortable life. This is about the glory of our King. I'll say to you the same thing David said to his brothers. Is there not a cause? Is there not something worth living for and something worth dying for? Because there is a world out there that is dying for what you and I carry. And we're called to be the salt and the light to them. To be strong. To continue the course. To stand on God's promises and on His Word. Now I want to say to you, it's really important that you don't use your own imagination of God or of His Word to recalibrate your heart. Because two things, there's two reasons for that. Number one, our hearts are deceitful above all things. God wants me to have this. God wants me to have that, to marry this one, to be with that one. To God doesn't want me to go through this. How would a loving God expect me to endure this? And we come up with all kinds of imaginations. We'll get it wrong because the heart is deceitful. We will convince ourselves of what it is God wants for us because of the own desires and passions of our hearts. That's the first reason we should never use our imagination to recalibrate our hearts. We need to go to the Word of God, and we need to listen to the Spirit of God to speak to us. The second reason is this. Because if you try and use your imagination to calibrate your heart to what you think God's calling and purpose is for your life, you will be thinking far too small. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able, this is the amplified version, to carry out his purposes and do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to his power that is at work in us. You see, when you try and work out your little calling or what you think God may want from you, you're going to end up imagining something that is most likely way short of the glory that He desires to manifest in and through your life. Dearly beloved, it is time to arise and to shine. It is time to step into the callings and the plans and the purposes that God has for you and for I. Jesus said it this way. He looked at them and He said, With man, this is impossible. And here's that little word again. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. I do not want you to lose heart because of your situation. And I do not want to assume to understand how God may want to move in your situation. God is a God who works differently with different people. Siobhan's testimony is one of there was a moment where God came into his life and there was a remarkable difference and sort of bad habits and mindsets and sin fell off him and he walked in a new life within a matter of weeks. Mine was very, very different. I didn't have one of those amazing goosebump experiences. My initial commitment to God was very much cerebral of the mind. And I failed a lot. And I struggled to overcome sin, battle after battle after battle. I've had to learn how to walk with God and experience His grace over time. It's taken me a long time to reach a certain level of maturity. I haven't arrived yet. 
I'm not all there yet, but my journey has been a long and a slow and a steady one. And when I tarried and I really, was, I really had just settled in and I wasn't growing at all for a number of years, God sent a little Greek man into my life who took me by the ear and expedited the process. <laughs> because I needed it. Oh, God's goodness. God has been so good to me. That's my story. It took time. Different things. There have been moments of provision where God has come through and provided for my needs in wonderful, miraculous ways. There have been moments of revelation where God has set me free from things and worries and anxieties have fallen off me and I've stepped out of them as if stepping out of a garment. But there's been other times where I've had to toil and struggle for a long, long time. Years to overcome certain things, to learn certain things, to grapple with myself. I don't know what your journey is. I don't know how your situation is going to play out. And I don't pretend to say, thus saith the Lord, this is how it shall be for you. But I do know that the God who has called you is faithful. And He is calling you to look to Him so that if He needs to take you through the trial, He can give you the strength that you need to do so and glorify Him in the process. And if He needs to bring you out of something quickly or provide quickly, He, he, he can do so because your, orienta- your heart is orientated rightly towards Him. Stay the course. Keep looking to Him. You can acknowledge what is going on around you, but set your eyes on the Lord. I was reminded of that old hymn this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And as you do so, the things of the earth become strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We started with David. I'm going to end with David. Looking back on his life, thinking probably about those days as a shepherd boy and those bears and those lions, thinking about Goliath and that victory. Maybe he was remembering the caves of Adullam and how how hopeless things seemed in that moment. Saul pursuing him, the chances twice that he had to liberate himself from that yoke and kill Saul, and he would take neither of them. The many battles he fought remembering his failures and God's goodness to him despite his failures. But David brought the nation to a place of peace. He brought the nation to a place of victory. And it was when he was king, and he was looking back on his life, and God's hand throughout, that he penned this psalm. Most probably the most famous of them all. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. For His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head 
with oil. My cup runs over. Surely. At the end of his life, he says, surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a man who walked his journey with God and with a confidence that was unshakable. There are so many ways we can identify and empathize with David. But I want to encourage you this morning, and I hope the simplicity of my message, the simplicity of just that little word, has given you a key to help orientate and position your heart again and again and again in the promises and the callings that God has over you and for your life. You may be facing trouble, but God will protect you. You may be facing lack, but God will provide your need. You may be facing uncertainty, but God will show you the way. You may be struggling in a a relationship, God will release His grace and forgiveness in that situation and will give you the grace to make peace. It doesn't matter what you're going through. The key is, but God. Would you stand with me this morning? Our Father, we want to thank you this morning for the privilege that we have of calling you our Father. We thank you for Jesus, for that sacrifice of your one and only Son. We thank you, Jesus, that because you rose from the dead, everlasting life is the promised legacy of all those who believe in you. And so, no matter what we face in this time, we want to thank you that we have a rich hope because you are our God. And Lord, I want to pray this morning that where we have become bogged down with bad news, where we have become overwhelmed by the problems, by the needs, by the uncertainties that we see around us, we want to lift our vision this morning, Father, and recalibrate our expectations recalibrate our sights and say, Father, we look to you. Would you, we ask, speak a word into our situation today? Would you give us an answer that comes from your very heart that would cause faith to rise up in our hearts? Would you please, Lord God, your word says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, but let him ask in faith, not wavering or doubting, because such a man is like Uh, boat tossed and torn by the sea, unstable in all his ways. Lord God, your word makes us stable. Your word enables us to stand. Your word enables us to overcome. And so I pray, Lord God, for the prophetic release of your word over the spiritual family in the name of Jesus, providing wisdom and vision and guidance for the way ahead. I pray that for corporately, and I pray for every heart and every individual in this place today. that you would make your word and your will very clear. And Lord, we want to set our hearts this morning to say to you, we seek your glory above all things. We seek to glorify you and have your name 
be declared in and through our lives. And Father, if that means suffering, we will suffer it gladly for you. And if that means battles and strivings in the Spirit, Lord, we will, we will do that for you. Because this is all about you. Glorify your name in your people and through your people. May the worlds see the brightness of our rising. As you grant victory, whether the victory is a manifestation on the outside or whether the victory is a breakthrough on the inside, Lord Jesus, you are the one who gives victory. And so we thank you that you call us to walk in that. So we bless you for this reminder this morning, Lord God. We thank you that you are calling us to faith. We thank you that you are calling us above the circumstances we find ourselves in. And we thank you that you are on the move. We want to release our situations and our problems into your hands. We want to to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And so God, as we do so this morning, we want to thank you for the liberty and the peace that comes from knowing that you go with us, that you are with us in the midst of our trials. May your peace abound toward us. May your grace abound toward us. May your strength be evident, Lord God, as we wait upon you. Because your word says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So God, we look to you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your nearness and for this reminder today. And we bless you for what you're doing and you're about to do in the mighty name of Jesus. The Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.